0: the fortune always in the follow-up we, we know that right you really have to be persistent with some sellers There are some people that are especially the referrals they already have so much information about you and there's so much confidence are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah larvey
1: Hey everybody, Sarah Larby and this is Where Should I Invest? And today's guest is Parker Mott, who is a wholesaler and a real estate investor. And we talk a lot about wholesaling and how it differs in Canada versus the US, but also like how to actually get into it in Canada because the market is so different than the US in terms of privacy laws, a lot less foreclosures. It is quite different, but Parker has been able to make it successful and create a whole business out of it. So if you guys are interested to learn about wholesaling and how it works in Canada and how to make sure that you have a good spread and negotiate the right terms and conditions, this is going to be a great podcast to learn that. I hope you enjoy it. And don't forget if you are interested in a live meeting, we are having a meeting on. October 6th at the Live Real Factory in Markham. Send me a message if you would like more information at, Sarah, at Sarah Larby.com or through my website saralarby.com. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and I also hope to see you live in person on October 6th. Parker, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: Doing phenomenally, Sarah. Not quite as hot as this uh, real estate market right now, but I'm trying to stay perky at least.
1: Nice. So we talked. I, I think we met a couple years back when you were first, maybe a little bit more than that, when you were first starting out. Yeah. And you know, you've you've come so far. It's so great to see you know all the great things that you've been doing since then. But maybe just give us a little bit of an overview on how you got started in real estate investing and what your current strategy is.
0: Sure, absolutely. Scott uh, started in real estate. I mean, I did a podcast a few years ago with Stephen Howell, an American wholesaler. So I gone over some of this territory, I'll try to make it a little bit fresher here for this purposes of your podcast, Sarah. But when I was starting out, um, I began really actually out in Florida, a lot of this, doing a lot of reading, just basically on the whole broad strokes of real estate, mostly it applied to American at the time, because I was reading a lot of American books. Once I came back from that trip, I, you know, reading all obviously the usual suspects like Robert Kiyosaki and a lot of the big hitters, Don Campbell and a lot of those popular authors. Once I got to Canada, I'm like, okay, how can I appropriate wholesaling, which seems like a uniquely American phenomenon? How can I appropriate that into Canadian real estate culture, right? Is it even possible, right? Because when you're starting out, you're naive. So everything seems like a, like a very far reach. So I was kind of going through the typical channels, bigger pockets, trying to kind of, you know, the network is your net worth idea, right? Trying to build that up at the, at the very beginning uh, and ran into just, I met the right people out of the gate, one being yourself one being Luke Boyron, uh, one being Sean Allen, uh, a lot of these people that were already, you know, several steps into the business. They were much smarter than me at the time. They had a lot of of good advice to kind of get me rolling. And Luke in particular, Boyron was kind of my mentor at first because he was kind of an aspiring wholesaler. Now he is a very established wholesaler, but at the time he was almost as green as I was. He just had the 10 years of, you know, being a buy and hold investor and doing a lot of landlord properties so he was kind of getting into the wholesaling thing and trying to figure out what it was all about and i just we kind of worked together because we both had that you know we were going in with you know uh you know rose colored glasses a little bit and we were hungry and we were curious how wholesaling would work and what are some strategies to to find motivated sellers obviously the foreclosure rates in canada are less than one percent so we're like is this really a thing like can you find people that really need to sell quickly And do they have to be selling quickly to want to work with us? That was the other question they weren't sure about. Do they have to be motivated or eager to sell? So there was a lot of, there was a huge learning curve there at the beginning when I was working with Luke and getting my feet wet because I was under his wing. I was his first employee at his his fledgling company at the time. And it was tough at first really acquiring the first property. But I would say that whole, before we get into that, I would say that whole span was probably only about two or three months. It didn't actually take me that long which is the great thing about real estate. It actually is, it's friendly to anyone who's willing to work for it, right? It's not gonna, you know, it, it'll, it'll only really spit out the, and, and chew away all the, all the slackers, right? If you really put your mind to something and you wanna learn and you're, you're an open book and you wanna get to know people and you're a people person and you understand how to assess a property and the ins and outs of the market, then you can typically have pretty good success at it if you've got the right connections and you're willing to be a little bit persistent. So a lot of it with me was I didn't have to really go through going to all these different real estate events and spending years of trying to meet that right person. I kind of lucked out in the sense that I, I didn't meet the right people right away. Um, I don't know if everyone can say that, right? Um, but that's kind of what was my experience meeting you, meeting meeting Luke, meeting Sean, meeting all everyone at a, at SoRight, et cetera, right? Um, so that was kind of my experience getting into wholesaling overall. And obviously this has been a three year journey. So there's plenty more where that came from, but that's how it all sort of started out.
1: Cool. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there were that many, and maybe just cause I wasn't in the industry or, or maybe in, intertwined as much back in the day, but like, you know, before three, four years ago, was there really wholesaling in Canada? I mean, was it something, something like, I, I don't really know. And I can't think far back enough to say there's like somebody that was just like hitting it out of the park. Like, I mean, I feel like Luke Boyron brought a lot of it into Ontario anyways. Like I can't speak about the other, the other provinces, but like, right. do you know, was there anyone else that was really doing the wholesale thing, the strategy back in the day?
0: it's, it's an interesting point. I don't think so. I mean, I, I feel like Luke is kind of the book of Genesis for wholesaling. He really is kind of the first guy, right? there there was it was sort of i guess it was kind of this mythical creature for a while it was spoken about on bigger pockets quite a bit Mm -hmm. so you can probably go back to the uh the conversations there and all the different conversation chains and see maybe back to 2016 roughly there was one guy named roy from like the yeah from the east coast i forget his last name but He constantly would speak about it, but he was more of a cynic and said, like, you couldn't really do it, Mm. uh, mainly because you couldn't do really, you couldn't target properties in the way you could in the States because our privacy laws are a lot stricter here. And there was, you know, the probate sale was not the way you could do it in the States where you can target individual properties that clearly are going through an estate sale. You can't do that here. You can't, you can go to a probate office, but everything's under a tight seal. So that wasn't possible. Foreclosures aren't nearly as common here. We've got power of sales, but they're done a little bit differently. And banks are obligated to sell at fair market value, which doesn't appeal to a wholesaler naturally. So there were a little bit of, obviously, I don't know how to answer that question directly in the sense that I don't, since I've only been in it really since like 2018, late 2018, my knowledge of what happened before real estate almost just seems like a bit of a blank Mm. slate.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say that there wasn't, I mean, from a scale perspective, anyways, like I can speak about Southern Ontario. I don't think that there really was that many people out there, but it, so, it is interesting. And I know, and I know you listed a few things that were different from the U S to Canada and Kate, okay, before we get into that, and I do want to get into that for anybody that is needing to catch up and that's totally cool. Can you just talk about wholesaling, like what it is as a strategy. And then I want, I would like you to talk about the differences between U S and Canada, and you talked yeah. about a few of them, um, but maybe how you overcame that uh, afterwards as well. But let's let's talk yeah. about you know what what exactly is wholesaling first.
0: Yeah, the basic just Oxford Dictionary definition of wholesaling is the, it's the basic idea. And a whole there's wholesaling like more in the retail space, like what we're used to, like suppliers and like the supply chain. This is different, right? This is within real estate, so. What you're doing is, I mean, you're, the title of your show is where Where should I invest, right? Wholesaling in a way is not really investing. It's it's more of a marketing strategy that obviously you run as an active business, right? So you're marketing to to motivated sellers, acquiring their properties and selling the contract, not the actual asset to an end buyer, right? Who's gonna close on the property and you facilitate the transaction as a middleman. You're not licensed, you're not meant to be, you're not acting as a brokerage, nor do you pretend to be. Um, it's a different process. So basically the actual definition being a wholesaler is you're getting a property under contract. You should be bargaining in a way to get that property below the perceived market value. um, Knowing that the the seller is minimum, not having to pay realtor commission. You're taking that agreement of sale, that piece of paper and selling it to an investor, right? You're trading paper, not property. Um, So let's use an example. You're buying a property for $300,000. Not that you can buy much for 300,000 right now in Ontario. But let's use that example, $300,000, and you can find an investor who's willing to pay $320,000. You're going to sell that agreement to them. Uh, They're going to close on the property on the scheduled closing date. They're going to assume the obligations of the agreement that that you would have had as the buyer. So you're transferring your your purchasing rights to them. They close on the property, and they would pay you that $20,000 spread. The $300,000 goes to the seller. Um, And then the $20,000 goes to you. And then obviously you'd be reimbursed your deposit that you paid the seller uh, on top of that. Um, So that is typically wholesaling. It's you're trading uh, the equitable interest in a property to an end buyer uh, who is going to carry out the obligations that you originally had as the buyer. Um, So you're using typical agreement of person sales uh, and selling that agreement of person sale to an investor um, to close on it. That's, that's simply what it is.
1: So there's an agreement of purchase and sale plus a separate agreement for the assignment agreement.
0: Yes. You're going to have two separate agreements, right? So you're going to have, as you said, we have the agreement of purchase and sale. So that's the, the, uh, the ARIA form that is signed between you and the seller, right? Uh, at an agreed purchase price, closing date, there's consideration. Obviously if you know what you're doing and we'll be getting into this, I'm sure how you properly execute that agreement. You want to make sure that's done out of the gate. So you actually have a contract that you can sell. It can't be a null and void agreement. Once that is done, you're going to, once you find an investor who's willing to pay a markup on what you paid, you're going to go and enter into an assignment agreement, which is a separate agreement, still uh, written and created by ARIA. It's the same ARIA form. It's just a different number. So it's an assignment of agreement of purchase and sale. And that's going to be signed. The principles in that agreement will be you and your end buyer. You as the, as the wholesaler are the assignor, and the end buyer is the assignee. Uh, and then your names will go on under as such. They will pay you a deposit, typically match or in excess to what you paid the seller, just to protect your downside. And then they will just, at that point, once that is signed, there will be some clauses that you will put in uh, your Schedule A in the assignment agreement, the same way you would do it with the seller in a purchase and sale. And at that point, once that is accepted, they would make a deposit to your lawyer and trust. And they assume at that point, the contract that you signed with the seller and they are obligated to close on that transaction. So there's really two agreements for sure that you're going to sign uh, at the time of acquisition of the property and the disposition of the property. There's those two agreements. And then there might be some other separate forms like waivers, amendments, that might come through the pipe at some point if need be. Normally for sure a waiver, and we can get into that later, um, amendments are common too uh, sometimes we do redirection of title uh, as opposed to an assignment uh, wh- that's kind of at the, at the end buyer's discretion but we don't think to it's too complicated in that right now those are that's basically the, the the simple steps the wholesaling and there's many ways it can be done wrong as well uh, in ways that people can uh, botch that whole t- that whole process but that is the simple form how it works And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
1: Hey, everyone. I just wanted to pause and share with you a financing tip that helped me scale my portfolio and can also help you as well. By working with Streetwise Mortgages, I took a strategic goals-based versus a transactional approach to financing, and they've helped me develop a financing roadmap that aligned with my goals and gave me some crystal clear clarity on where the money will come from to grow, how to maximize my borrowing power, how to structure future deals and avoid some costly mistakes, saving me thousands along the way. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise. And also very recently, they've offered an additional summary report of the best to invest 18 Ontario markets and also a comprehensive deep dive research into a market of your choice out of those 18. I highly recommend that you take them up on that offer. If you're looking to grow your portfolio, to book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Okay. Awesome. And both are area forms or you know the real estate forms. So if it's, you know, you're not in Ontario, there's likely some forms uh, in your province that you can get as well that would have your regular purchase and sale agreements and your regular assignment agreement.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And I really highly recommend using the area forms if you're a wholesaler starting out because I've worked with wholesalers in the past that were using Basically, agreements they clearly doctored themselves, or maybe at best had you know a lawyer that they was working for free that, that that reviewed it and didn't really spend the time proofreading it. And a lot of the language overlaps with American terminology, which I know is one of our questions here. Um, and the language is different. We have different laws in the Ontario in the province of Ontario. Um, contract law is a bit different here. The clauses are differently, and we don't have title companies, right? Where you're not. There's not going to be a title company. There's no escrow uh, closing a transaction. So you I know, feel like that's
1: what happens when somebody hires a, like a coach from the U S and they're like trying to learn wholesaling, but they don't always work with Canadians. So it it's, it is, it is so different. The markets are so different. I mean, you, you touched a little bit on the differences, but how did you go, like, how did you go around it in Canada? Because like, we don't have the same lists right in the U S like you could pull these lists of people that are, you like behind on their taxes or people that, you know, maybe own their house free and clear, or, you know, whatever list you want. We don't, we don't have access to that. We also don't have the same same foreclosures we don't have you know these crazy like auctions you know <laughs> well we have actually we do have some auctions they're far and few between um but you know maybe maybe go a little bit into that sure. and then how you got around to you know working making it work for you in Canada
0: it was that was the hardest part starting out and I owe more credit this answer to your question I'm going to be a little bit triangulating on because I don't have all the greatest information Luke was the the, 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 the joint venture it's not wasn't technically in writing a joint venture, but the agreement I had between Luke when we started out and he was the employer and I was the, the his first employee was I was going to bargain the best I could with the sales knowledge that I had, which was minimal at the time, but has obviously gotten better over time with the sellers. I was going to try to negotiate the best prices. And he, in the meantime, was going to really expand marketing, find ways to appeal to motivated sellers, knowing we couldn't just go in to the government or to the city hall and pull up all of this available information like you can in the States. Right. We don't have short sales and things like that. Uh, We obviously, again, you don't have probate. Um, Absentee owners are a little bit harder to get a hold of. I know that's the thing in the States too. It's just everything is under a very tight lid. So what we had to do basically is I was taking a lot of the calls. Luke was basically mostly doing flyers from what I gather. Um, Just, you know, not direct really mail, just targeting neighborhoods, um, I would even do dry for dollars when I was starting out, right. knock the people's doors. I didn't have any success with that personally, uh, but it was at least a good way of, of, you know, getting a little bit uncomfortable, approaching people, trying to spot distressed houses, getting a bit of a nose for the truffle, if you will, uh, and how to really spot those things. Um, so, but really I think the hardest barrier of entry was figuring out how to find these properties. Luke, I owe more of the credit to, and he's probably, I know he's been on your podcast, He would be a really good guy to speak to more in detail about the marketing, but I know flyers were instrumental for us and and still are, right? Um, The only downside with flyers now is a lot of the wholesalers that now are getting into the business, uh, knowing there is a lot of, you know, it can be very successful if you put your mind to it. A lot of them are also doing flyering now as well, so it's getting a little bit oversaturated. I uh, agree. especially yeah. in certain markets. Right. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, typically you don't have really the options like you can go into a property and look up rule numbers. You can do that at city hall, but that's only really going to get you so far in terms of contacting the seller. Um, so really a lot of it, what we did was, you know, again, a lot of it is kind of online marketing. We have our website, of course, cashlessbuyer.ca. So you can check that out where we were basically saying, you know, are you going through a divorce? Um, are you behind on your payments? Um, you know, is there a death in the family and a state now, would,
1: would this be on like a Facebook ad or like where, where would this online marketing be?
0: Yeah, you could do Facebook. Um, we, we would have certain ads where we would be targeting. Uh, I know Facebook was one of them. Um, I'm trying to think where else we have them, you know, Google. And a lot of it was, you know, we were a top ad on Google, I believe as well was big. A lot of it was coming through our website, most of it, because we built up a big enough brand, um, using obviously keywords and search, search optimization where people were naturally, there was a demand in the marketplace for, for, um, for, for, for cash buyers, right? So it was a matter of just getting yourself known, right? Like anywhere in this business, like you don't, you're not gonna make money unless, you're, unless people know you, right? They know, like, and trust you. So it was building up that's part of the business, establishing that credibility. And like I said, it was, it was creating a website and then just sort of letting it branch out, right? And letting it really, Luke did most of this part, so he's gonna have more information on this but I think where my success came into play, most of my deals are, are really through flyers, right? I found, you know, we would do flyers. We have the realtor flyer, where arms crossed and everything's very polished and sold in the, in the background. Like we weren't literally doing that, but it had that same type of gloss. And it was too synthetic, it was too contrived. It, it, it screamed too much of, of, of realtor that our response rate was pretty bad to start off. So we just wiped that, we didn't even bother anymore. And we went just strictly to the handwritten flyers, which everyone knows about pretty much now at this point. And that's really how people are, I think most wholesalers are getting most of their results. And you can do online as well, but I think most of it is coming through flyers, realistically. Um, and then referrals, you can get referrals too, right? Um, doesn't happen, word of mouth isn't as, as common these days. Social media is really the number one place to go. Um, but I know I've, I bought two properties this week off, off referrals. So it can it can happen. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
1: Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brentford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack.com contracting and you can ask him whatever questions you have you can also reach out to him instagram which is at blackjack contracting inc and like he says He knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack contracting. I will say that Finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle, and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the burst strategy.
0: And now back to the show.
1: So, d- do you mind if I ask, like, on a on a typical month, like, how many how many transactions do you do, or is it on a yearly basis that you want to share? Like, are you able to to give us some insight on that?
0: It's easier to probably go yearly, it's just because I've got you know, you think about, you can have a week where you don't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing coming through the pipe or people are, there's a lot of holdouts uh, or it's just, you know, maybe you're off your game a little bit or, you know, someone, everyone that you're working with just needs a bit more time for lawyer review, So whatever, you know, pushed out a week, I would say on a year, maybe a quarterly basis, I could, I could break that down. We're probably doing, you know, for me individually, maybe about quarterly, about 15 to 20 properties, maybe somewhere around there. So, you know, maybe five properties a month, six properties a month, just, just individually. Right. Hmm.
1: Um, so how long does it take to cultivate? Uh, I mean, I know it obviously ranges. I mean, literally it could be one day to like many, many months, but on, but on average, like how long does it take for a typical deal from the time that somebody contacts you to the time that you've got, you know, signed contract in hand?
0: It, it's, it's hard to really answer that question. I mean, there's no the thing, the the fortune's always in the follow up. We we know that, right? You really have to be persistent with some sellers. There are some people that are, especially the referrals. They already have so much information about you, and there's so much confidence that you don't have to do a lot, right? They already kind of want you to come out. As long as you're not lowballing them, you're basically probably going to work out a deal, right? Uh, there's that. Now you have other people that they're they're other sellers. They're a mess. They're not they're not organized. They kick the can down the road. They procrastinate. They don't want to make any decisions, even with regards to selling their house. They want to sell, but they don't really know how to do it. And for granted, they're probably just antisocial. They're nervous about calling us and they don't want to be pressured. They're worried that they're going to get some sort of slickster on the phone who's trying to convince them on the, to sign on the dotted line. So there's a lot of that that you have to be wary of going into. So I, I mean, I just closed the proper, not, not it's not closed, but I closed the, the agreement uh, two weeks ago and they first contacted us two years ago. Okay. So that was, you know, a long gestating period there of, you know, I don't like a lot of follow up, but just not answering. Right, eventually, I was finally able to get a hold of them. Really, through truth, sheer luck of the draw, took that time on, on that call to get permission to come through the property. <clears throat> it turned out actually why they didn't get back to us is is the father was actually didn't was hard of hearing, and just couldn't hear the calls. So I think maybe one one time the vibration he picked up on the vibration. I got lucky. But that just took two years, right? It took time. So it took a lot of patience. Remembering those leads, you have to have a bit of an instinct for what's a good lead and what's not. Because obviously, not always their price is a reflection of a good deal, right? This is a big mistake a lot of young wholesalers make. Oh, they're asking retail, okay, move on, right? But the problem is, you know, what you're solving is not just price and what you can pay, you're also solving their problems. And when you can solve people's problems, that's like a lubricant for their, what they're asking in price, right? They'll be more slippery. They'll go down in price. When you're like, Oh, here's some extra value you're bringing to bring my life. Oh, you can hire the movers and move all this crap out in my garage for me. That's fantastic, right? Oh, you can close in six months. We don't have to close in 60 days and you might even let me move the closing date around. Phenomenal, right? It takes a little bit of patience with people and not just obsessing over their asking price. Now, there's a certain limit to that, Sarah. Like, you're not. I'm not going to go to a property when they want nine hundred thousand and it's worth six hundred thousand, right? There's going to be a certain limit to because my time is valuable, as is everyone at the company. But I also can, can again. You're being that dog sensing the truffle, right? You got to know. Okay, this person is motivated. They have obviously maybe they're a smoker. The place stinks. Um, maybe they've got like six dogs in the house. So they're, they're a breeder. And how are you going to do showings with that? We we have to put the dogs in the kennel, there's hair all over the carpet, they've scratched up the hardwood floor, it's not going to show. And if I've got that information out of the seller just by building rapport, that's already information I can use to know, okay, maybe they're asking 800 and it's worth 820, but here are some problems I can easily bring to the table and bring solutions to, that 800 might now become 740 in one conversation, right? And it's just the mentality at the end of the day, when you realize a lot of this stuff, these people are not, if they wanted top dollar, they would list the property, right? You know this, right? When we were talking before the show about the challenge, finding MLS properties, right? You're just, the challenge for you, right? Is you're just not dealing with motivated sellers. They're all unmotivated. They're all waiting for obviously the highest and best offer. They're not just going to take. They're all to-
1: holding offers. Everyone's holding offers. Everyone. But I do want to, but so I want to sure. talk about this. Cause I think this is important yeah. because it, This is exactly why we can't just wait on MLS. You know, like, so I just bought two deals, I guess, in the last three months, land deals. One was completely off market and and one was on market, but it was like literally on market for maybe a a day, a day and a half. And we ended up getting like an awesome VTB as well. But that aside, I mean, it's not just the MLS because if we're waiting on the MLS, like we are going to be competing, especially in this market right now Mm -hmm. at the time of recording you know, everyone's holding offers. There's many bids. We're starting to see it come down a little bit, I think maybe in yeah. some in some markets, but like, what are you seeing from a wholesaler perspective in, in the, uh, you know, just, I know you're in many different markets right now. You're mostly in Ontario and Southern Ontario, but what's, uh, what's your take on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember just before I answered that question the, the preface to that would be my first coaching call I ever had in wholesaling was with a guy in, actually in the state. So I'm guilty of taking too much advice from U S state investors, but that In that call, I remember asking him, how do I wholesale in a hot market? Because I was so naive at the time. I thought, oh, there has to basically be blood in the streets for there to be a market for wholesalers, right? That was my my thinking. I had just sort of rudimentary knowledge. And uh, now I know that I've done, my, my thinking is more sophisticated now, not to pat myself on the back, but it's just true. Like yours would be right the more you do this. You just start to realize that people's problems don't just go away, right? Because hot market, cold market, whatever... There's always going to be right now we're in a pandemic. There's, you know, there's a divorce rates have gone up. We know that there's more, you know, relationships in dispute. Um, You know, people are obviously, you know, very cautious of people coming through their home, touching their doorknobs, touching their countertops. They have to sanitize every time they leave. That's uh, COVID has actually brought a little bit more opportunity in the sense that people who are afraid of germs or are afraid of just stranger danger, right? Of people coming through and passing on contaminants. That's actually a really good opportunity. Like my first opportunity, when I go, I'll answer your question, but one thing, when I go into a property and someone is really wanting me to wear a mask, I know that's a deal right there. That's my first time. I, but the <laughs> maskers do really support you. It's yeah. Like, then
1: you know that they're not going to want to have too many other people coming through because they're already ca- like worried about it. Right.
0: Exactly. Right. So it's certain now, now beforehand it may have been, what would it be? Watch beforehand, before the pandemic, People who didn't want me to take, didn't care if I took my shoes off. That was a really good sign, right? You know, yeah, leave your shoes on. Now the place is a, is a stink hole anyways, right? So I'm like, okay, that's pretty good, right? Now in this case, it's just now, you know, human behavior is, is changing to this new social political climate we're in, right? Where, you know, all that motivation is now being packaged into this whole COVID thing. So people that are worried about, you know, again, who may have been a motivated seller beforehand and wouldn't have liked people to come to the, into their house are now expressing that through wear a mask, you know, do these things, sanitize, right? They've got different behaviors uh, adjusting to this whole pandemic. So those are things I have to look out for. But getting back into the the hot market scenario, I find it's actually in a way, it's harder to get deals, obviously. I mean, if you're having trouble on the MLS, it's also gonna be difficult for wholesalers because there's that ripple effect. At the same time, when you can solve someone's problem and get a decent discount, it, the margins are a lot better right now for a wholesaler just because when you're taking it to your buyer's list that the, your buyer's list is at least an echo of the retail market. It's obviously a micro, it's not the whole market because we're not taking these properties to the MLS unless we wholesale them that's a whole other subject. Uh, so if we are wholesaling them, they are in a way that we might be selling it to a landlord investor or someone who wants to buy and hold and is willing to pay a bit of that premium. Maybe they're a huge, they're very bullish on that particular real estate market. They see the month over month gains in the last couple of months and they think it's going to keep at that rate so they're willing to pay a bit of a premium especially if the property's highest and best use comports with what you know their exit strategy is so that's really good for us right yeah, now obviously i
1: won't lie to you like a lot i mean not just you but i get a lot of, of emails from different wholesalers and yes. stuff that i'm seeing is very much retail prices now right there's not that much of like the gap in between but i'll say instead of like 20 or 30 offers or even 10 offers and driving the like retail price just to stupid levels you're probably getting it at that retail price
0: (laughs) yeah well that's the thing like i I i've had this conversation with luke it's like how do we price the properties when we're sending them out to the list because i can i don't like necessarily pushing that retail because then it seems like we're being a little bit we're not leaving enough meat on the bone The problem is we're not just doing that, you know, uh, we're not firing from the hip when we do that. We've noticed that when we underprice the properties too much, it creates too much of a frenzy uh, on our buyers list. And then we have to do a lot more vetting. We have to, obviously, it gets a little bit too exhausting with so many different calls. And a lot of those people still might be kind of a bit of, they might be tire kickers or they might just be getting information. So we exhaust our resources more than we need to. We just want to think, You know, we want to, our goal is always to be asking a discount to our buyers list, but we still need to ask a little bit more just to weed out some of the people that are maybe looking for certain margins that are just, we're going to find someone else, right? Who'll be willing to pay more. Uh, And obviously our list is growing. So we have to respect everyone that's on that list. And then we have a lot of also buying whole investors. Admittedly right now, like you and I both know this is a really bad market to be a flipper right? Just a straight up, you know, I'm going to flip even a burr potentially. You're not, it's very hard to get your money out right now in a, in a burr investment, but especially a flipper looking for short-term gains, four to six month hold. They're going probably through eight to 12% financing. It's just not even for a wholesaler, they probably have other options right now because the rates have been cut back so much. Yeah. But
1: even, even a buy and hold investor, like you're buying a high, like the rents haven't (laughs) for really for, for any, The majority of the investing out there and the investors out there, like unless you're creating something, this is why I started getting into building. Unless you're creating something, you are overpaying in today's market. Buy and hold, the rents are likely not going to cover it in the majority of markets. Um, You're you're going to overpay cottages. I mean, cottages are insane. The burrs, yeah, like it is tougher to to be able to buy something at the right price. You know, your rental costs have gone up, obviously, with lumber and, and a few other things that have gone up. And, you know, the, the refis, I mean, people just, it's, it's hard to refi. It's hard to refi right now because a lot of the appraisers are wondering, I mean, it it could actually work in your favor, but if, if there's like a bunch of them and then just a one-off, they may not take that one off. And so, yeah, it, it definitely is, is harder. I mean, I think like at some point, I hope it evens itself out or it just like cools off a little bit. I mean, where, you know, markets are like a cycle, right? You go up, you go down, you go up, you go down. But, but even probably, you know, for, for, for you guys, again, you probably don't have as much inventory if, if, you know, you don't have as many people looking to, uh, to list their property right now, but I don't know. Yeah.
0: yeah I mean, typically a lot of it is, you know, if you, I've, when you're wholesaling, what's interesting is you uh, being a wholesaler is you're kind of an audience member to, to the marketplace, right? You can kind of observe, where the market is going, the ups and downs, just by observing seller and buyer behavior, because you're basically the middleman as a wholesaler, right? Like we were going to get into some of this, but I think you don't, you're protected in the sense that, you know, you usually have a condition in your agreement, right? So once you assign the property, you're out of the deal, right? Once, well, in the sense that once it closes, right, you're relieved of obligation. So you don't really, if the market, if there is a downturn, you're not going to suffer that depreciation hit, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of great upside in the sense of being a wholesaler that you're looking for that short term, you know, that short term spread that you can make with it with a willing investor in a hotter market. You've just got more enthusiasm. You've got more buyers and investors who's just anxious and wanting to get into a property. you know, FOMO, right? It's that idea. Now we had last year when COVID hit in March, right? We all remember that April around March, April, May ish, right? There was that freeze. And everyone was kind of on that typo, like, whoa, which way are we going here, right? We were having a lot of trouble offloading properties. And I'm using the word offloading because it was kind of like getting rid of it. We were having trouble moving properties that I thought I bought at a very good price. And they were single family, immature neighborhoods, clear exit strategy, no like cosmetic improvements, not anything that had noticeable structural issues. And I'm like, why are we not moving these properties? So we were really selling them to a lot of our more seasoned, confident uh, investors. We are
1: probably laughing because they took the opportunity when everyone oh. was scared. And, and now, you know, like some prices in some neighborhoods, I mean, in, sure. in towns and cities, I mean, you're looking at like, what is it, Brantford, I think is at 38% year over year right now. Right. Just exactly. I it was
0: high, 30%, yeah. eh? I mean, that's good for your portfolio though, because I know you're in Brantford too. Right? Yeah. So.
1: But I mean, it's like, I mean, it's only good if you've got a bunch in the market, but it's not good if you're still looking <laughs> necessarily, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with, with where I'm at. I'm, I'm not saying I won't invest in Brantford moving forward, but you know, I've kind of moved into different, you know, different strategies now, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, just the markets everywhere, like even Eastern, Eastern Canada has, uh, has gone up. Like it, yeah. it. it's just
0: it's just nuts um yeah i mean wholesaling i don't even think has gone out that far yet i know ontario is really the main pocket you know we've gone to montreal but we haven't really had a lot of great success out there for a number of reasons but um yeah
1: So so Parker, here's a, here's a question. Like, I mean, if somebody is thinking, okay, you know, should I, should I get into the industry and should I start by being a wholesaler? Because maybe I don't have a whole lot of money to get started and do my own deals. Or, you know, I hear on many podcasts, this is a good way to just like hustle and prove yourself. Like what, you know, what's your take on that? And maybe you just walk us through some of the the cons, some of the good things about being a wholesaler, but some of the things that somebody should also be aware of before they get, uh, they get into deep.
0: Yeah, this is a good question. I I would think the big thing that I I know a, a a lot of Canadian young and Canadian investors need to need to be aware of this is work like wholesaling is not get rich quick. I think the, in the states you can i see a lot of kids out there just kind of you know they have a, they spend a few thousand dollars on flyers and they think basically they're the uh, real estate king of their neighborhood, right? But in Canada, due to the fact that you have all these limitations that we've discussed with the privacy laws and it's very hard to market to these sellers, you have to prepare for a in budget for a decent marketing spend on a month, month monthly basis. Like we spend like five figures easily on our marketing per month. Uh, it is very costly. You do have to prepare and know and be careful that you're, you know, you're not. There actually is decent margin on what you're spending. Like if you're spending a certain amount on marketing, what is your cost per lead? You kind of have to know what that is. A lot of people just go into this too quickly, thinking that eventually, you know, there's got to be a motivated seller out there. A worst case, they can just drive around and eventually someone's going to open and spread their arms out and say, "Please, yes, buy my home." But I find actually the barrier for wholesaling isn't as low as I initially thought it was. I thought it was kind of an entry level thing to get into, but really there's there again, there's, there's definitely good wholesalers and there's really bad wholesalers. And there's ones that don't have that just don't have a fighting chance, right? They don't have, maybe they just don't have the knowledge yet. um, They're not committed enough or they just frankly don't have the budget. Like you can't go into this with a $500 budget. It's just not going to happen. Right. You do need to, have a serious and you're going to have to take out. I mean, I watched that show McKeever's doing the pitch and you've got investors coming on asking for, for money and taking out loans. That's a good idea. That's a really good, you're, you're going to want to do that. because you are basically taking out, you're looking for like a venture capitalist at that point, you're looking for someone who's willing to invest in you. That might be something you need to do as an investor, right? Because it's very hard just to start out with a few hundred dollars in your pocket. And frankly, Canadian homeowners expect a good deposit. When you go in and buy the properties, I'm not going in. Very rarely am I doing one dollar or ten dollar deposits no. here. About, right? <laughs> you're, at least, you're
1: at least at a few thousand. Like this yeah. last deposit, I had to put down a hundred.
0: <laughs> one hundred thousand.
1: As a deposit, yep.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, that, that, was that was that the land deal? It was normally. Was those the,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it was one point one mils exactly, <laughs> and he's doing right? a BTB for like eight hundred. But he did, yeah. he did he did he did one a high deposit.
0: That, and that makes sense especially with the vtb that doesn't surprise me and we've done vtbs as well we could talk more about that but that's again that might be for another
1: i podcast. gotta have you come back at some point because it's like it's almost <laughs> been in like almost an hour that we're talking I and know. we have so much good information and like we, there's just no way that we can get it all done. Here, here's a here's a question though for you because we do have to wrap up at, at some point soon and do our lightning round. But if there is somebody listening and they're like, I really want to learn how to do this, there isn't really anyone, you know, teaching this course. Like, are you are you guys hiring? Like, do you do you bring in new people to help? You know, work on your team? Like, or or are you guys full? Like, what does that look like?
0: I think our team right now. I mean, we are we're a growing company and we we've, we've reached that point where we're. I don't know what the standard is for a medium business, but I don't. Maybe we're not there yet, but we're we're pushing the threshold of a small business. We're doing well in that sense, so I think we're we're having a, t- a team meeting today, saying we're basically. Corey, our v- vice president said, uh, "I hope Luke doesn't get me to hire more people, right? Because it seems like we're always looking for more talent, but then we kind of tap out at a certain point because it's it's just obviously there's a process to hiring a new person. But for me personally, like I'm open if people want to give me a call. Uh, you know, I'll share my number at the end of the podcast if that's where we get." if you, especially if you've got a deal, right, if you've got something that ideally is not listed or wasn't previously listed, uh, is something that you do have under contract, or even if it's a bird dog, I'm okay with that. Uh, Like a lead and a phone number and a seller name. That's good. Um, but call me. I mean, I love talking to new wholesalers. I love, you know, basically giving them their own podcast right over the phone and giving them my thoughts. Uh, again, my time is fairly valuable, but I'm still good to get on a, a phone call and, especially if they have value to bring to the table, but especially that being a deal. Uh, so I'm completely open to that with, with people giving me a call and I've had that happen already. So I can speak from experience. Uh, and again, all the other uh, would be or, or currently striving wholesalers. You've got, I'll give you my number at the end of this podcast and they're welcome to reach out to me um, and we can talk numbers on properties. Just, I always ask if you're going to bring a deal as a wholesaler is you need to know your ARV and your as is value immediately. If I don't get that in the, in the, in the first question, then it's a huge red flag. And I don't want, I don't want to think that about you or, or, or by you, I don't mean you, Sarah. I mean that hypothetical wholesaler. I don't want to think that because they might genuinely be have potential, but when I hear that, I just think, Oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing or they haven't thought it through, or if they don't care what the ARV is, they probably don't have an interest in the contract. They might just be you're know, trying to, you know, get a price for me. So then they can take it back to the seller and kind of do a quick, trade off paper. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just not a way to do it. So.
1: Yeah. And I'll say this industry is small, yeah. so you don't want to be burning bridges yeah. early on either. And I, and I think you guys like, I mean, I've, I've heard of you guys, you know, if somebody's got something under contract you know, because you've got a list uh, and you're able to do all the marketing and all this, all the stuff to your, to your buyers list, I've heard of people bringing their contracts over to you and you guys kind of, you know, take it from there and, and do some kind of split, yes, which which is you can
0: awesome. Do that too. So if you, and that's relates to if you bring, if you're bringing a deal, and I'm going to vet it, and I vet it fairly, you know, thoroughly, right? If I think there's some meat on the bone, uh, we're, we're very fair to the wholesalers we work with. We've, you know, I've got a few names in particular that we've done business with successfully, and they keep coming back to us, right? If the proof is in the pudding, like if they keep coming back and wanting to keep, you know, benefiting in the upside, then I know we're doing a pretty good job with them. We don't try to, sh- you know, short. There's a lot of investors, not only a lot of investors, but there's some investors out there that, you know, they, they, they want to know what, what you paid for it right away. That's the first question they ask. That won't be my first question. I don't even think I ever asked that to a wholesale. So what do you have it under contract for? No,
1: because, because the negotiation, it really doesn't matter. Is there enough meat on the bone for the buyer? Yes or no. Yes. And then like, ultimately, are you interested or you're not interested Yeah. I don't, I don't like that question either, because like, so what if you made, I don't know, five grand or you made 50,000? <laughs> like if the deal is a deal regardless at, you know, the sale price, Who cares? I, the only thing, the only caveat though, I will say is that five grand or 50 grand has to come out of your money likely in cash. And and there are some lenders that, that will will look at it differently, but just in general, you have to come up with that money on top of your down payment. And then the bank's going to go and finance whatever left is left on it. Right. Um, yeah. or if the bank doesn't finance it cause the house is like in distress, then you can, you can go private and it's a different story, but just keep that in mind. That's the only yeah. time I would say it might make sense. Like once you guys are further, much further into the conversation for them to say, you know, like, because sometimes fees or, uh, you know, assignment fees could be a hundred thousand, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so, so that's just something that, that a newer investor might say, okay, if you're going to be paying the 20% down, plus you've got to come up with a hundred thousand or whatever that fee is, you know, uh-huh. that's cool. But I definitely not the first question to ask.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that's why we're within our company. We treat our sellers as seriously as we treat our buyers, and vice versa, right? Because like, we need to know that once when we negotiate, when I negotiate with the seller, I need to I, I need to know that I can stand by my product, which is my company. So if I know that you know every property I'm bringing, we're gonna have issues with our buyers, or we're not gonna negotiate with them properly, or make sure they can, they have capacity to close, like you're saying then that's going to rub off on my on my sales pitch right or when i'm talking to sellers right because i know that there might be some loose loose ends on our on, on the back end of our company but we've done a great job with that we have a we close pretty much everything on time there's always going to be slip ups there's always going to be potential conflicts between uh, principles of a transaction that's real estate that that's fine but again you're exactly right when you need to make sure that the person you're assigning to understands if they're going to a td to get a you know an 80 to 20 loan they might not subsidize, like you said, that $10,000, dollars wholesale fee. So where are they coming up with that, right? And that's obviously really important to know because you don't want to find that out a day before closing that they didn't realize that, right? They're just going yeah. to know the value
1: yeah, exactly. Parker, I mean, we can really keep talking forever because there's so much that we could we can unfold and, and, and keep, you know, digging into with, uh, with wholesaling and, and all your experience. But the next yep. part of the podcast is a lightning round. I'll have to have you come back at some point in the future. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. Every guest gets the same ones and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Boom. I'm ready. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to Megan Chomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M E G H A N C H O M U T.com forward slash Sarah.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Question number one, Parker, what is your favorite real estate investing book?
0: Oh, uh, Mm, I had a few answers there, but I'll say Rich Dad Poor Dad only because, I know that's so cliche, but only because it was the first book that I started out with when I was in Florida. The other one I would say, though, I really like, what was one I just read? I just read one. Okay, actually, no, I'm going to segue. I I would really recommend Luke Boyron, totally biased here, Luke Boyron's dad's book on commercial real estate investing in Canada because it's tailored specifically to the Canucks, right, here. So Mm -hmm. it is basically a 500-page magnum opus on... Everything you need to know, about, especially more towards commercial, but cap rates and all the legal, all the lingo and language, how easements work, that has been sort of a huge kind of like, that's like a, some, some people have a big globe in their, in their apartment, you know, that's because it looks very ornamental. I'm going to have that book there just so I can always say, you know, be next be holding a bottle of scotch and just say, yes, this is a very fine book and I'll pop it out and
1: yeah it's like a a huge a huge textbook i think you can get it on amazon
0: (laughs) yeah and worth every penny right uh it's so big at big actually the book the spine broke (laughs) (laughs) so it's like every time i open it it's just flops out like this but that that absolutely i would recommend and obviously some of the other don campbell books but i think everyone kind of says that
1: so i'm good friends with luke and, and it's, it's funny because we used to go to school together, but he used to tell me these stories about how he com- came back from school and on the weekends, his dad used to make them all take turns typing that book together. So he would really? do his notes and writing and then all the kids would be in charge of like typing it up, <laughs> which I thought that was a cool story.
0: <laughs> picture all the siblings in there and the dad just dictating.
1: Yeah. His- awesome. All right. Question number two. I don't know if you are a podcast listener and this doesn't have to be real estate, but you have a favorite podcast.
0: Uh, I mean, the first thing I was just listening to Joe Rogan yesterday. So I'll bring that up. But everyone says Joe Rogan, uh, trying to think, I I really have been getting into Andrew Hines. I think he is, he's got his finger on the pulse on everything. He's always doing market outlooks every month. so whenever I'm driving to a property, if I want like a fresh perspective on the real estate market that I can present to a seller as a negotiating power, uh, I'm going to listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. He's 10 times smarter than me. Uh, so I'm just going to steal everything he's saying. Uh, so <laughs> thank you, Andrew, in advance. Maybe we should meet sometime. Yeah. Um,
1: great podcast for sure. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from wholesaling and real estate?
0: Uh, I watch a lot of movies cause I used to actually be a former film critic. Uh, that's actually where my roots are. Mm. Terrible money. So I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. But it's, it was always a passion. I studied film, uh, in university. So that is my background, um, that I would say that playing guitar occasionally. Um, obviously, uh, I haven't done paintballing in a long time, but I used to be a big paintballer. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, and hockey. I mean, of course, I, I'm a goalie, so but again, that's been shut down because of the pandemic, but I'm missing that a lot. That's about one year old now, my last hockey game. But you can catch me on the ice, uh, I'll be playing net in a lot of these beer league games. Uh, so that usually takes up my time. And then I like I cook a lot. I'm a bit of a, a bit of a, a, bit of a chef on the side. So, uh, that's always fun. Check out my Instagram posts. Cause I'll be posting <laughs> some interesting dishes. Not always, not always vegan friendly, but I try.
1: No, that's good. I'm, I'm not vegan, but send, uh, send me some recipes over my, uh, my chef. Uh, can I, I'm not a good cook, but I can get my chef to make them.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I already hired a chef years ago. I saw those pictures. So that's good. Uh, Same one.
1: Yeah. So, like, well, she went to, um, um, she went back home for a few months just to see her mom because her mom was sick. Uh, and, okay. uh, and now she's back and she's keeping like two clients. And she's like, you guys are one of the two that I'm keeping. I'm like, oh, thank God. I would, I wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. Well, it's a chef's market as much as it's a, sh- a seller's market right now, right? It'd be hard okay. to find for a chef.
1: I, I just, uh, I couldn't replace her. Like, I, I just would have no idea. <laughs> so, I have a chef for, or I know, it's
0: it's it's looking to hire again. You know who to call.
1: Okay, actually, that's that's actually really good. That's good to know.
0: No, um, to know.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right, number four. If you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again, Parker?
0: Ooh, um, I would go back on Bigger Pockets and meet Luke on again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is what I would do. Um, I would. Well, here's the thing, right? Doing this job, I've learned how to sell. Like that's been the biggest blessing I've, I've got. I'm not i I'm a natural introvert. I don't like talking to people for an extended period of time, especially in a way that's sort of like meant to, you know, win them over in some way or something like working people, which you have to do when you're a wholesaler, right? You're trying to convince people that you're, you know, you should sell to them and you're not paying them top dollars. So there's that disconnect right there, right? Mm -hmm. People have to know, okay, if I'm not getting the top dollar, what am I paying effectively for? I'm giving you my my equity effectively, right? So I've had to acquire that skill, right? And being able to, uh, you know, just get people to feel like it's a win for them, right? It's okay to sell your property below market or below retail, right? It's not, you are not necessarily taking a loss all the time. So I think the fact that I've, I've learned how to pitch something that might to some people seem like a hard sell, because we have people comment, especially realtors who say, why would anyone sell their property below market value? That doesn't make any sense, right? But that's obviously a very limited way of thinking, which we'll yeah. talk about another time. But that would be uh, a big thing is just, I know how to sell now. So I could go out if it's not real estate, It'll be some other asset. Maybe I'll try to sell precious metals, whatever, right? Or, you know, go into construction, something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be really important. I mean, you you know, everyone you may or may not know right now has everything you want in life, right? I think is that saying. So you have to go, go and just meet people and convince them that you have something that they don't have, right? That's what will make them want to work with you. So...
1: Awesome. All right. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend that money?
0: In real estate or where is that money going?
1: Something to do with real estate or investing more. I mean, you know, it's open so you can suggestions like it could be, you know, learning, it could be different things, whatever you think.
0: I think they say, or when I say they, a lot of the gurus uh, in real estate, you know, Stefan Arneo, uh, the late Stefan Arneo said this was you need about a hundred thousand dollars. I think before you really start getting serious about investing in real estate, like hundred thousand cash savings. Right. Um, so I would think maybe 50,000 isn't enough to get to that point. I mean, you could, you could, I mean, you could find a way to do maybe a, uh, you know, what are your skills? I think really what you need at that point, if you have $50,000 invest that into sharpening a certain skill set, Right. Figure out something, whether maybe you're, you've got a little bit of cursory knowledge on um, drywalling or just building flipping properties or dealing with sub-trades. Well, learn, sharpen that muscle, sharpen that tool a little bit more, right? Um, learn to deal with contractors, um, you know, maybe go to a trade school or something, like invest that in education. I, education is crapped on these days because of what's happening in the universities, because of all the stuff happening there in the student loan debt crisis. But my, my education was so important to me. I, I, you can't take that away, right? You know, the four years I had at university, it was film, it was history, whatever. I mean, I don't use a printing thing anymore, really, except for shop talk. But that, but that has been so important to me, just it's part of my identity, right? So people, I think if you're starting out, create a unique identity, have, a, have something that, is, that you can, you know, you have a certain slogan about yourself or you have a slug line, as we call it in the film industry, about yourself, right? That, you, that makes you stand out from the crowd. Uh, So spend the $50,000 and make yourself more unique, not just someone who is a jack of all trades, right? Everyone's a jack of all trades, right? Everyone, I'll do anything you want. I'm willing to work for free. And it's a good thing to work for free, but just if you're going to call me or call someone that you want to work with, there needs to be, I like, I had a few uh, aspiring wholesalers come out and give me something specific that they would be able to do, right? Because it was something they excelled at, right? Whatever that would be. Maybe it's even just taking my phone calls for me, right? Um, that's interesting, right? That's, that's not just, I'll do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So be a little, a little bit less broad and a bit, target your skills a little bit more with the $50,000. I don't think you're, that person would be ready to really go big in real estate yet. Uh, unless, unless $50,000, you want to work to about a hundred thousand dollars and have a really good skill at the end of that uh, as well.
1: Awesome. Parker, yeah. where can my listeners reach out, find out more about you and, uh, and go and, and connect with you?
0: Uh, so you can go to just our company website, cashelsbuyer.ca. That's not going to be a, a direct way of, of contacting me, but I think my information is in the, on the contact page on that website. But that's just a you know, good promotion of our company, right? Uh, whether if you're looking to uh, buy up another property or looking to buy wholesale, you can join our buyers list uh, and I think it's blissrealtyinvestors.com. Um, you can go there and sign up you'll be automatically added to our GTA list if that's where you're from. And we're also buying it in Ottawa right now. You can follow me personally on, on Instagram, MontMachine10X. that Totally still up for Grant Cardone, but excuse that. Uh, sorry, Grant. But yeah, MontMachine10X. You can add me there. That's the handle. Uh, my email is buyer at cashhousebuyer.ca shoot me an email if you want to reach out for an inquiry. Uh, obviously again, it's not a great time to grab coffee because of what we're in, but even if it wasn't COVID, I'm not going to give you the COVID excuse. I don't typically meet people for coffee, just, you know, willy nilly. i you know, especially when it's, I don't really know them that well. Cause again, time is valuable. I know yours is too, Sarah. Right. But nonetheless, I'm happy to get on a phone call, see how we can help each other and go from there. Um, and then my number is, uh, again, I guess might, that might be in the bottom of your, uh, uh, page there with your podcast, but six, four, seven, five, two, seven, three, nine, seven, four direct line. Uh, I can be reached there as well. Um, cool. and I pretty much work around the clock. So I'm not going to be screening calls. <laughs>
1: awesome. All right, Parker. And any final last words of advice, something, something, you know, whether it's a um, sentence or, or two, actually, you know what, we're going to end this last part, Parker, any final last words of advice?
0: Uh, I would say if you're starting out, don't be worried about the competition uh, you, you, because if you think too much about all the other people out there trying to do what you do. It just seems like an impossible hill to climb, but you can only control what you are capable of. So I would just think, focus on, you know, being the best version of yourself, picking a skill and learning to develop it and know that deep down, a lot of those people that you have in your head that are trying to do the same thing, aren't going to have your same level of persistence. They probably talk a lot of game, but they're not really doing much. So a lot of that is just noise. So just always try to cut out the noise. Uh, If you can't cut out the noise, everything's going to seem way harder than it is. This is obviously a challenging business for a reason. There's a lot of upside if you can put your mind to it and get smart. Uh, But again, don't talk yourself out of it because you think it's oversaturated. There's plenty of money out there for everyone to make in this business, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, or, Or otherwise.
1: Parker, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. We'll have to have you come back. Cause like really we could have kept talking for a whole other hour. <laughs>
0: exactly. We're going to make this part two, right?
1: All right. Part yeah, one of, uh, of, you know, maybe part two, maybe part three, who knows, but it's uh, part one in the books.
0: Love it. Till next time, Sarah.
1: Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven actionable repeatable system i didn't have that and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself learning listening and looking for ways that worked. and also most importantly discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again fast forward to today i now have a proven repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called RISE and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster